That's cool. Coming our way. All right. So now, now we turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. And as we're looking at this passage, it's an, it's an interesting one because it, it talks about now at this point who we're supposed to be as the church. And Paul starts to give us some really terrific practicals after having laid out who we are in Christ he now paints the picture of who we are as the body of Christ. We looked, well, it's a couple of weeks ago now, at the first six verses, which talked about this astounding unity, where we are all in one, one in all, in Christ, and based on this tremendous unity that we have, Jesus then ascends on high to be able to give us gifts to make sure that what he began as an amazing workmanship... Back in Ephesians chapter 2, he talked about now that, that we have been taken from dead in sin to alive in Christ, we are not saved by works. And by the way, we're not saved from works, but we are now saved as his workmanship. We are saved for works. And as his masterpiece, as his workmanship, Jesus doesn't just regenerate us and say, go get them and hope for the best. But then he continues to give us grace and equips us. To be fully who we were always meant to be collectively as the body of Christ. Let's read here and we'll begin in chapter 4 verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, and now Paul's going to reference back to Psalm 68. A psalm that speaks of Moses going up to the top of Mount Sinai to be able to give this amazing gift of the law of God to his people. When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And so he takes this psalm and now he applies it to Jesus in a bit of a confusing manner, probably for most of us. Probably read this many of times and thought, ah, you know, I'll get around to figuring this one out someday later. So, and, and hopefully today's the day. So Christ himself gave, this is what he gave as these gifts, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service. Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Now that, that phrase there in, in most other translations is to become a, a, a fully consummate man, to, to become a, a kind of a full man, uh, ready, ready for, for, for working and attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be. Now here's this picture that he paints. We'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow. Grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. 
And so for the most part, the, the theme that runs through, even all of the words that Paul chooses to use throughout this section, is all about growing up, attaining to the measure that you were always meant to be, to become fully equipped, mastery, to become that, that not apprentice, but rather that artisan, that, that craftsman, that one who is so fully equipped and strong enough to do the very things that God's will has in store for you. But it's also always done in the perspective of us collectively being exactly that. But to contrast it, he gives this picture of a, of a bunch of babies in a boat being tossed back and forth. And in the midst of that boat, there are also con men that are trying to trick them. And, and that, that's, the, that's the contrast of perhaps what God doesn't want us to be. And we'll, we'll talk about that one in a minute. But before we move on, I want to look at this reference to Psalm 68, as I mentioned in verse 8. Where Paul says, that's why it says, as though the Old Testament was written, just so to point forward, not just to the exodus and the captives being set free from their enslavement to Egypt, being set free only to come to Mount Sinai on the birthday of God's people where they become his nation of Israel. And on that day as he, as he rises up, which, which happens to be Pentecost, Moses rises up to the, to the top of Mount Sinai to receive from God gifts, which he then brings down to bestow on the people. And those gifts are the clarity and the justice and the wonder that is the Torah that was given to the people. And also the, the ratification from God that now you truly are my chosen precious possession. You are my people. So any Jew reading this, and, and we know that a good proportion of the people reading this come from a Jewish background based on the first couple chapters. But any Jew have, having, having read this would have also kind of be heartened by that reference to ah, God's grace and his deliverance. And, and not only did he take us out of, out of Egypt, but he made sure that we would make it refined into the promised land itself. It's not as though God just kind of gets you started and then he hopes for the best along the way. But he gets you started and he's always there. He's always kind of checking in, not just checking in, but, but continually there with us, guiding us, encouraging us as a father, kind of guiding a son or daughter along the way. This is the picture that, that Israel would have had of their God. And now it is the picture that Paul paints of Jesus. But Jesus, when he ascends on high and then sends gifts to his people, guess what day he does that on? Pentecost as well. The same day where Moses bestowed these gifts on his people, now Jesus ascends. And, and upon his ascent, he then sends the Holy Spirit to equip his people. But it also says he gives another gift. And the gifts that he gives here are the gifts of, of people, of leadership. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. To be able to make sure that the body of Christ is not stunted in any way, from the growth that was always destined to be ours. But, again, as I mentioned, it begins with a, a bit of a different picture. It begins with babies in a boat. And ultimately, God doesn't want to leave us there. He wants to give us the gifts that allow us to train. And for some of you who are probably not so enthusiastic about physical training, 
I'm not trying to make any eye contact right now as I say this. I'm, I'm about... Um, by the way, it got much hotter in here too, I just noticed. But you may not appreciate this video, but uh, you know, Dick Sporting Goods has been doing a series of videos of, of showing people training. Olympians trying to get ready, but one they did was with teams trying to get ready for their different sports. And they have, and it's, I think it's an appropriate image that we can look at for a minute here, because it's young people coming together, kind of first day of the season, trying to figure one another out, but also gel together as a team, but gel together not just so that they can get along, but so that they can do work, and that they can have victory along the way here. Uh, take, take a peek at this. I guess the sound didn't get connected. All year long. Amen. Thanks for getting the sound going for that last word. <laughs> uh, no, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate those images because it really does speak to who we are as we come into the church. The uneasiness of what's my role? How do I fit in? What am I supposed to do? Am I even supposed to be used in this capacity or that capacity? And all of the kind of the uneasiness that goes with that. Well, know for sure that as Paul lays it out here, it is God's will that every one of us does our part. And every one of us is meant to be on this path of, of being stretched and guided and coached to a place where we go beyond what our normal limits would have been if we just did it in and of ourselves. And I, I actually love training. I, even as I watched that, I was like, oh, I think back of different teams that I was on, how I miss, miss those times of, of being pushed beyond what was normal limitations. And to have that esprit de corps, that camaraderie, one with another, of kind of bonding through the pain that, that we had together. I've, I've shared with you more than a few times that I've, 
uh, in college, I was on the crew team. I was a rower at University of Pennsylvania. And, you know, and, and the, just the, the pain that we endured and, and to kind of be on these, these ergometers you know, to, to train for the races, you know, to end it with dry heaves, to get on a boat at, at 6 in the morning on the Schuylkill River in Philadelphia in the winter. Uh, to, to, you know, to have the, the water freeze on the back of your sweatshirt, even as, you, as you're rowing down the... But, but knowing that, you know what? Every day, little by little, we're actually getting better. And it's really happening. And, and so are they. And so am I. And it's happening together. And there's just such an excitement in that. This is the picture of the church that Paul tries to paint here. Is that we're all together now being trained. And in order for that to happen, Jesus is going to give us the gifts of some people to be part of the coaching for all of us. And to insist that we're all together in this very thing. But where do we begin? Well, again, according to this passage, we begin as tossed toddlers targeted by tricksters. Now, while this isn't the beginning of the verse, it's the beginning of our journey. As we become really the body of Christ. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Verse 14. Then we will no longer be this. Now, it looks sweet and wonderful there, right? But, you know, let's see that kid win a race. <laughs> then we will no longer be infants. Tossed back and forth by the waves. And blown here and there by every wind of teaching. And by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. That word cunning is, the, is actually the word for dice. It's the word cube. We get the word cube in the English language. And, and it's, it's the idea of a grifter or a, a huckster or a con man, a confidence man that's, that's coming in there to be able to manipulate you in one way or another. But more, more importantly, even to manipulate us regarding the lies that the world wants us to kind of buy into, rather than to hold to the counterintuitive truth of the gospel of grace that is, that is really ours. But we begin as tossed toddlers. Now, I think about this phrase, no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves. I don't know how many of you like kind of just toss your infants into the waves. Is, <laughs> is, that, a, is that a normal image? I don't know where, where Paul got that one from. Uh, but it, it's such a helpless idea. And when a, when a boat is manned simply by toddlers and there are waves that are coming at it, the one thing that that boat can't do is it can't turn itself, put the bow right into the waves. Uh, and I, I think Kurt Woodham will, will tell you, you know, if, if we're not constantly vigilant about a boat in the midst of waves, we end up broadside. And as soon as we become broadside, then that's when we get swamped and that's when we get ruined. And a bunch of babies in a boat, they're not going to pull this off. But it's not just a bunch of babies in a boat about to go down. It's a bunch of babies in a boat about to go down with con men all around them stealing their milk money or maybe just even their milk from them at all. Right? It's a harrowing scene. This poor little, poor, but that's us. That's us if we don't get real about getting equipped. But that's us if we buy into the modern, let's call it mainstream Christianity model of church. What is that model? The guy up here is, is the performer and you all are the audience. And here's hoping that, ha have I not entertained you? 
Uh, here's, here's hoping that you, in, in, in a sense, still hang on and that what we do up here with enough lights and smoke and music and, 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 and clever little stories will, will somehow keep you coming back uh, so that we kind of keep this thing together. If, if that's it, if, if that's all that church was meant to be, well, then this is all we will be easy prey. But you know what? Probably after a while, we won't be we won't change much because Satan will have us where he wants us. And that will be the lie that we buy into because we just look at, well, this is the way church is done. And all my life growing up as a kid and maybe for a lot of you as well, I came into the church not as a rower walking into a shell ready to pull my own weight. I came into that boat passively as a passenger saying, you know what? You know, do they serve drinks on, on, on this one? How's this going to work along the way here? And I was completely dead weight in that boat. Completely dead weight. That's, that's all that I served to function as. And, and others would strain at the oars while I would kind of kick on back and enjoy the scenery and, and hope that it was good scenery. And if it wasn't such good scenery, and if the boat wasn't comfortable, well then, fair enough, I'm out of here. But that is no picture of the body of Christ. No, nor can that be us. And by the way, if we even start, start to kind of head into that passive role, where not everybody has, has grabbed an oar, not everybody is straining towards really helping this to be all the more glorious, not everybody's excited about doing the work as his workmanship that, that all of us are, the masterpieces that he has made you to come together to really now do some sort of amazing stuff in unity. But if that's... If that's not where we are, and we kind of slip into just a pew warmer, well then, we become easy prey for, for whatever compromises of truth that the world wants to throw your way. Is Jesus the only way? Isn't that closed-minded? And suddenly you're thinking, hey, yeah, that does seem a little bit closed-minded, doesn't it? I mean, other people are kind of oh, oh, tolerant about all these other ideas, why, why is it that we insist that it's got to be our way or the highway? It, you begin to kind of entertain thoughts like that. Having, having forgotten the very fact that, wait a minute, of course there's one clear way. It required God sending his one and only son to descend, to, to come to, to be with us and descend in, in order for us to be redeemed. And, and for us to be redeemed, when he descended... He not only humbled himself from all the privileges of being at the right hand of the, the, uh, the right hand of God, but he also then also had torn away from him any status, and he became a servant, and he humbled himself, and ultimately, for our sake, in the garden prayed to endure all of our defiling sin, and he himself was then defiled. <clears throat> One who never knew sin, only knew holiness, chastity, purity, only knew that, reveled in it, fought because he was about to be defiled by my pride and my lust and my lies and my greed. I think of how, how abhorrent that would have been to Jesus to have to bear and to be, be sullied by, by the stains of, of my life and all of ours. And yet he did, but not just that, he was then tortured mercilessly so that I could receive mercy. He was then tried unjustly so that I wouldn't have to endure the justice that was really due me. 
And that through grace, I would not have justice, but I'd have something so much more. And then ultimately, he was then humiliated, stripped, nailed to a cross, and tortured unto death so that I could have life. Now, is that so close-minded to then say, wow, what an amazing way you have provided, God. And to actually think that, well, maybe it's just one of many ways. Well, then Jesus becomes a fool. Because if there are other ways, if all you have to do is meditate about a cloud or, or, or consider some eternal circle, well, then why did he go through all of that? Wait a minute. I mean, imagine him even later on, like having this conversation with the father. But, so, so you're telling me that, that if I had just kind of let people know, if you just go like this and have the same thought in your head that brings you peace and hum it a few times over, that that would work instead of me going through all of that? Well, thank you very little for telling me now. But that's not the conversation that God has ever had. Instead, God said, this is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. Why? Because of what he did for us. Again, that's just one example of, of so many that can kind of get in there and suddenly we have itching ears that entertain it. When? When we become passive. And, I, and, and if, if you're just sitting in the boat right now and you don't really even recognize when it's all hands on deck what it is that you could or should do, well, then you're at risk. You are. This is a dangerous place to be because you become a tossed toddler ready to play dice with a super duper trickster, ready to take all that you've got, more than you even realize what they're doing, what will really be the case. But when you're engaged, then suddenly you're insulated from, from all of this deceitful scheming that Paul brings about. And, and instead, you are able to really up, uphold truth, uphold the gospel, promote Jesus, and make the difference in the world that you were reborn always to make. Well, let's talk about how is it, though, that we can get engaged? How is it that we can go from that to really being effective at grabbing our oar and making the big difference? Well, we are trained by Jesus to do the work of Jesus. Now, that, that word work in, in Greek, all throughout our letter to Ephesians, is ergon. Ergon is the word for work. Uh, we get ergonomics when we talk about, well, what's the right, right posture to have sit in a chair? Well, it's, when, when you're at work, how, how, how should you um, best apply ergonomics so that you, you're most effective? That's where that word comes from. But this machine here that you see this guy pulling on is called an ergometer. So I, I kind of appreciate that. This is an ergometer where we are now called to be able to get into God's gym and do some work. We are not meant to be babies that just kind of hang along the way, kind of be entertained from time to time, look to have our needs met, maybe be a bit disgruntled because my needs weren't met fully enough. That's no way to live your life. As a matter of fact, whenever there's a self-focus like that, all it does is then highlight more of your own needs. And when those are more highlighted, then you become all the more disgruntled because those aren't being met. And then that's a downward spiral of self-focus and, and ultimately a, really a shipwreck of what it is that you always were meant to be in Christ. But instead, it's time to align ourselves with what it is that Paul has in store 
for the church in, in Ephesus and really for the church for us. Is that Jesus gave himself up. And, and what is it that he gave? He, he gave himself up so that we would have every opportunity to be trained to be the very body of Christ. Now that Jesus has ascended, he's got a plan. The plan is, you're my body. You're my arms and legs. You're going to do the work that I was doing. Now you're going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. You're going to have gifts. You're going to have the word. You're going to be guided. All that's going to be really amazing. But make no mistake about it. Who you are right now is the most significant person on earth. Because you're part of the body of Christ. And it's time to train ourselves up. And let me just say to you. If right now you sit here as a redeemed Christian by the blood of Jesus. And you don't really have any sort of a deliberate thought of how it is that you're going to be all the better equipped. All the more mature. All the more solidly a a strong man that can be part of the great plan of, of Jesus Christ. Well then... Time now to to kind of feel like you just got the wonk upside the head by the Holy Spirit. Because all these words that we have here, to be made mature, to, to be able to reach, to be able to be equipped. All of these words that we have here are all about a life that is constantly on that kind of a, a growth path. I've, I've often said it, that if you're just going to try and tread water and just kind of maintain, that's a dangerous attitude to have. The minute that you decide to raise your trajectory from zero degrees to one degree, well, that rising tide lifts all boats, lifts all aspects of your life. It's a lot of water analogies that I didn't even plan on. that just keep coming on out right now. But it has that very effect because if you're now thinking, all right, I'm heading somewhere in Christ and I'm heading somewhere with one another in Christ. That's exciting. That's hopeful. That is actually a life that unfolds new adventures day by day by day. The other approach, you're just kind of hanging on. Where's the joy in that? We're meant to be running after it in a really terrific fashion for Jesus. And Jesus is said in Luke 2, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. This idea that he became a man of stature and wisdom is actually echoed in Ephesians 4.13. Here it says, it just simply says, until we become mature. That doesn't really give you the full sense of it. But, but other translations kind of give it to us a little bit better. For example, the ESV says, to the, me- to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. But not just that, but that we become fully mature, and it uses the word men. Now, this is not meant to be a sexist thing, But it is this idea that you are a capable, strong man able to take your stand. Paul says something similar over in 1 Corinthians 16. In verse 13 he says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. That's God's will for you and for the body of Christ. But to get from a tossed toddler... To, to one that is strong and standing firm and, and making a difference, it, it does require us to do some work, to be trained, to be equipped uh, along the way here. And how does he do it? Well, he gives us people that disrupt the thoughtlessness and keep on keeping on of our daily lives, where we're constantly being crushed by the pressures of the world to step back 
knock on our door and remind us that we're not just living for this life, but we've got a bigger purpose. And so he says, here's the gifts that he gives you. He's given you apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why? To equip his people for work of service. And while, while the apostles laid the foundation, as did the prophets, Paul says that a little bit later, we'll encounter that, that they, they laid the foundation and they wrote the Bible and they, they brought it on, then we continue to have evangelists who continue to help us to be reminded to spread the, the, the gospel. The, the word evangelist just simply means gospel, gospel guy. Uh, euangelion or evangelion is just simply the word for gospel. Uh, pastors or shepherds, I think that really kind of refers to, to, to those that are in different forms of leadership. Most ultimately, that would be pointing to an elder in the church. And then, of course, those that teach as well. But what is it that all of these gifts or, or offices are meant to do? They are meant to disrupt us. They are meant to help us to have a coach that keeps us from just half-stepping it as we get into our mode of training for, for Jesus. Now, when I go to the gym by myself, it's okay. But if I go to the gym with someone else, even you know, Debbie actually lifts with me. And, uh, and even when she's with me, I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm getting this right, right now. You know, she's not going to have to spot me on this one. I'll, I'll show her. Right? But it doesn't matter who it is, but the fact that there is somebody there... Well, she's a terrific spotter, by the way, if you ever need one. Uh, but, but, you know, it, it, it takes me to a place that I wouldn't have gone by myself. And there's a beautiful synergy working together that, that comes together when we are the body of Christ and we're being this one for another. And when I was, uh, again, when I was rowing, we had this guy who sat in the front there who is, uh, is called a, a coxswain. And... And then there's eight, eight guys that then row behind him. Now, if it were just the eight of us, one, I, I don't know where we would be steering towards. And, and he, he would always steer the boat in the right direction. But the other thing that he did is as we're in the middle of a race, he would say, give me a power 20. And I go, oh, okay. But it, it meant that, all right, for the next 20 strokes, you're going 100%. Not 110%. Because that's mathematically impossible. But you're going to go 100% right now for the next 20 strokes and lay it all out right now. And, and, so, you know, and so we would, you know, and he'd get ready for that. He goes, okay, in five, we're going to go with it. And then he'd count down those 20. We're just straining at the oars. But the beautiful thing is you'd start to feel the boat lift. And then you'd see the boat next to you, and as we hit that power 20, we would just start marching past that boat, little by, and just the thrill that, yes, this is working, we're doing it together, all this training that we've endured for the last nine months is all coming together for this very point, and just the excitement that came from that was just, I mean, really tremendous along the way, but we would never have done it if it was just up to ourselves. I'd be like, yeah, I think we're doing all right. Uh, you know, this is pretty cool. And, ah, I don't know, who's, who's going to be able to catch that boat? Forget about that. But this little 120-pound guy up there kind of just like screaming in our grill. Like, you're going to get them. Do not, let, do not let go of their bow. Do not let go. They, we had little balls on the front of the boat. Do not let that get out of our... And, and you know, and so we would march that thing down, and it was so exciting. But that's what leadership is meant to do. We've all got Bible talk leaders that are so encouraging and helpful to us. And what are they meant to do? They're meant to disrupt our entropy. 
Because left to ourselves, all, all systems fall to entropy. But unless acted upon by an outside force. I think that's actually the, the physical physics definition of, of that. But even in our, our relationships, even in our small groups, we're all subject to entropy unless acted upon by an outside force. That outside force are these gifts that God gives us of people that decide to, to step up and, and real, be part of leadership. But again, once we get into the boat, and once we're, we're here, it would be ludicrous if on our boat, when we were rowing, if someone decided to come on in and decided, you know what, guys, it was a hard night last night, and I'm, I'm just going to kind of sit in the back this time. And um, I'm just going to kind of pull up my oar and just, just chill a bit. If you, don't, you know what? I believe in you guys. You guys got this. You go get them. Oh, my goodness. You guys are terrific. We would toss that guy from the boat in a half a second. Like, what are you talking about? Get your oar in the water. Get on that oar right now. We're ready to do some work right now. Let's get on it. And, but when we do together, there is, there's nothing like it. Not just some, you know, simple worldly analogy of, of rowing a boat. But when that happens, when we're together as the body of Christ, when we head out and we share Jesus collectively and come back and share what it was, oh my goodness, how exciting is that? As we're engaged in small group discussions all throughout the area on, on the weekends and being helped people to kind of see more truth and to be able to bring the scripture to life and to know that's happening everywhere. My goodness, the excitement that everybody's growing and tremendous things are going on. It's so encouraging to be in a church where at our midweek service, even throughout all the four regions of our church, we average more than 100% of membership. That's amazing. That's terrific. Go, go, go to any sort of mainstream kind of traditional Christian gathering and see what their midweek service looks like. They're, they're not grabbing an oar in those situations. But it's also very easy to be here or to be at midweek or be able, thinking that, well, I've showed up to a lot of things. But have you grabbed an oar? God forbid that while we come together, even though we've all come together, it's still an 80-20 rule. That 80% of the work is being done by 20% of the people. I think it, I, I feel uneasy when, when I come to church and I, and I come and I think, ooh, I, I don't really have anything to do today. We've got a guest preacher. Uh, what, what am I doing? And, and to not come early, to not try to do something to kind of build up and encourage, not come prepared to somehow encourage somebody else. Man, oh man, we, we don't ever want to get to that very place where we are just dead weight. Letting others strain at the oar. Let me, let me give you a quick, quick example. Let's say the, the difference when we pull together versus let's have the model of, hey, let's see that evangelist guy kind of go for it here. In, in one week's time, let's say an evangelist spent 20 hours, 20 hours dedicated just to sharing Jesus. And, and maybe in those 20 hours, he has like five good conversations per hour, let's say. And in... And, and, and meets a hundred people. I mean, a hundred good connections. Not just, hey, would you like to do, you know, I mean, a hundred real, real conversations. And out of those hundred conversations, let's say things go really well, and one-fifth of them, or 20 of them, really decide to engage in seeker studies. And, and maybe two of them really decide, I'm going to surrender all, give my life to Christ, and go for it. Well, then, at the end of that month, let's say there's, there's two people that end up being regenerated to Jesus. And at the end of the year, we've added 24 people. But what if instead, the evangelist and the 100 members 
spend their time with, with the, the evangelists trying to equip, trying to help, trying to help people be conscious of what it is and who we are in Christ and what it is that we're meant to do, and here's exactly how you can do it. Well, then we would have, at the end of one week, a thousand, so a hundred people just having ten good conversations with people throughout the week. That's not unheard of. Let's say I'm, I, I, just if you only did it five days a week, it's just two conversations, good, good conversations about Jesus. That would be a, a thousand good connections. And maybe using the same ratios, 200 people end up deciding to sit down and really let me see what the Bible says about Jesus here. And then from that, let's say one-tenth again. These are arbitrary numbers, of course. But, but one-tenth again decide to, to really uh, make Jesus Lord of their life. Then instead of just 24 at the end of the year, there's 240 people that have been impacted in our area for the gospel How? By the body of Christ. Rather than a passive gathering in Christ, pointing to a guy, the body of Christ. That's that's always been our model, but I think this passage should remind us of that right now. And what are these people meant to do? They're meant to equip. The Greek word equip is that Greek word that you see above the symbol right there for what is the teaching arm of our church, the Commonwealth Academy. Katartismas. We get the word art, artisan from that. Uh, kata is just a prefix in Greek, but then the rest, so it's katartismos, artismos, or artisan is the, is the uh, root of that word, uh, which is to be someone who has been fully trained and a craftsman. Not only God's workmanship, but now you are his workmanship that is capable of doing great work yourself. That's all inheriting that idea where we get the word in verse 12, to equip the people. And this is what leaders are meant to do, to equip the people for works of service or works of ministry. And and we've got a variety of courses that do exactly that. And I hope you to avail yourself of of all of those. You can find them uh, over at Commonwealth. But I just want to talk about one right now. And it is disciple makers. Because uh, in in about two midweeks from now, if you're visiting, if you've never gone through this, I want to encourage you, if, if you've not really studied through what it really requires or how it is that we can be most effective at making a disciple as we're called to do. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. Well, how do I do that? If we don't know, then we're just ballast. If we don't know, we don't have an oar. If we don't know and we're not doing anything about it, we're content and we're becoming tossed toddlers in in, in the back of the boat. But I want to encourage you. If this is not a proficiency of yours, and for a lot of you it is, and praise God, but if not a proficiency of yours, get ready that in, in the upcoming midweeks, not uh, two, two midweeks from now, we'll begin it, uh, we're going to begin a, a separate class for disciple makers. And it's going to be rigorous, and it's going to have high expectations. You're going to memorize 150 scriptures. You are. Not word for word, but you're going to know where they are and how to use them. Uh, not only that, but you're going to know how to engage in guided discovery. This is going to be something where you're like, oh, I'm being stretched. I'm, I'm kind of dry heaving after this ergometer workout, but I love it. And everybody else that's also being better equipped as well. And, and, and you'll be so excited to not only know it, but then to be able to share it and to be used by God. And for the entire body of Christ to be built up and to be who it is that we were always meant to be. And so this is a final charge. It's time. It's time to do some squats. Grab a bar, do some upright rows. 
get in some high intensity interval training on an ergometer, kick the con man out of the boat, and it's time for the coxswain, for the leaders throughout the church to turn the rudder and point this boat straight into the waves. And for us, brothers and sisters, it's time to pull. Grab an oar. Amen. Amen.